Well, good morning. Good to be with you today. I'm uh, another Nate and also on staff here, so we're still figuring that out, but good to be together today. We've been spending the last several weeks looking at stories in Scripture, the stories of people in the Bible and how God encounters them and uh, works in their world and moves them forward in His his story for them, and uh, we're going to do that again this morning. All of us have a story. All of us uh, can see ways that God is moving and shifting in our lives, and uh, we're going to kind of look at those stories as well. I, I think back to when I was a, a sophomore in high school, and uh, I was in a gym class with uh, kids from other grades because they kind of lumped us all together, and there was this older girl named Tracy. She was a year older than me, and towards the end of that class, right near prom season, she asked if I wanted to go to prom with her. And uh, I was a sophomore, so I couldn't go if, you know, on my own, I needed someone, and, and she asked me to come along. And I don't know what your philosophy of dating is, I don't know how you uh, think it's the appropriate way for it to happen, but uh, just speaking as a former high school guy, when an older girl asks you to prom when you can't go, you say, and, and you're not dating anybody else, at least as far as you can tell, you're not dating anybody else, uh, <laughs> y- you say yes, you know, when they ask, you say yes. So I said yes. So we went to prom as friends and uh, kind of began to hang out a little bit more, and that got more serious. And then into my junior year, uh, we actually were dating, you know, that kind of phrase, that stamp you could put on it. We were dating, and it was just a, kind of a, a weird year for me. Uh, I was excited that somebody wanted to hang out with me. I don't know if you remember this, but in high school, there's a lot of pressure to be dating somebody, to, you know, kind of have somebody by your side, and I was glad that pressure was off. But my, my parents weren't as excited for me. They, weren't, they were not jazzed about this relationship. Uh, and, and it's because Tracy wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ. She was really a great person. She was kind. She was good. But her soul wasn't focused on the things of God the way that my soul should have been focused on the things of God as someone who said they were a Christian. So they were concerned about that. And, and I, you know, I didn't really see it happening, but it did start to change me over the course of that, my junior year. About 10 months into our relationship, I actually talked to God about it and said that I was going to do it my own way for a little while. I don't remember the exact language of the conversation, but it was something like, hey God, I know there's a certain way that you want me to walk through this life, um, but I'm going to kind of shift and just focus on this thing going on over here for a while. I'm going to, I'm going to do it my way. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. How do you talk to God, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> that, was, that was sort of my conversation with God. And thankfully, that, that time kind of pushing away from God, it only lasted about two or three months. And I, I began to realize how stupid it was, you know, how foolish that little prayer I had had with God was all about. And, and I began to want to get back in line with him, but, but the damage was already done. I mean, my relationship with Tracy had shifted and become something that wasn't really healthy any longer. And, and my connection with God was weak. It was just, it was different. And, and I couldn't seem to feel like I was connected with him again. And I didn't know what to do about it. Thankfully, I had some parents that had some ideas. Um, you know, as parents, when you see your kid in a relationship that's not healthy, even a friendship or a dating, you know, what, what do you do for your child? Well, my parents' solution was, let's get him out of the country. <laughs> let's, let's, get some, let's get some healthy separation here for a little while. Uh, my dad did international business, and so I went with him on a trip over to Europe for a month, the whole month of June. They said, we're just going to get Nate out of the country and give him a different experience. And, and the last week of that, I was at a missions conference in Belgium. And during that conference, God just showed up in a powerful way in my life. He, I had space and time to sit and to listen, uh, to be uncomfortable with the questions other people were asking me, um, to realize that God, God's grace was enough for me, even in what I'd been through in that last year. 
And, and I, I surrendered my life again to God. I opened my heart to him, and he began to change things for me. And I came back after that trip a different person. And I met, went into my senior year, really surrendered to God, excited about what he was doing in my world and what he wanted to do uh, through me. And, and that shift, that's just how God operates sometimes, right? He just takes us through things, and he shifts things for us. He flips the script on us and, and helps us to see something new or encounter something different. I'm so thankful he does that. He continues to do it in my life today. He hasn't stopped doing it. And, and you could say that God, you know, was, was making, turning everything upside down, or maybe better said, right side up, you know, that he was bringing things back into fo- focus for me and, and helping me to see that he was present with me and, and had plans for my life. I'm sure many of you have those stories as well. This is what God does. God flips the script of your life. He's done it before, and he will do it again. He will help you to see new things and different things. We're going to look at the story of Mary this morning. So I want to invite you to take a Bible or open up your Bible app. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, verse 39. And we're going to look at Mary's story and how she encountered God and how he turned things around for her. Now, the book of Luke, uh, written by Luke, Luke was not an eyewitness of, of Jesus' life. Uh, he wasn't with Jesus as Jesus was walking the earth, but he was an eyewitness of Paul's life. Uh, Paul, who went all around the ancient world on world tours, planting little Jesus communities in every town he would go into. And, and um, Luke was along with Paul. And during that time, he got to meet people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. He got to sit with people who had experienced Jesus and, and share stories with them and and, and Luke was an academic kind of person. He was a doctor, and, and, and so he wrote down all the stories that he heard and wanted to try to get a, an accurate telling of the life of Jesus. In fact, right at the beginning of his, his gospel story, he tells us why he wrote. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, I want you to know that the things you have been taught are true. So it, that's why he wrote down these stories. The things that you have been taught, the things that you have faith in, they are true. They actually happened. Jesus actually did what we believe he did, and he wanted people to know it was true. So in chapter 1, we're introduced to John the Baptist uh, and Jesus. We're we're introduced to their moms, Elizabeth and Mary, and and their miraculous story of becoming pregnant. Elizabeth was unable to have kids, and that was difficult for her. You remember three weeks ago, we talked about Hannah and how Hannah couldn't have children either, and, and it was a difficult thing for them. And Elizabeth, in her older age, cried out to God about that, and he He listened and he responded, and she was able to be pregnant. And in verse 25, she says, God has taken away my shame among the people when she became pregnant. He's taken away my shame. Remember, in the first century world, just like in Hannah's ancient world, there was this expectation. As a woman, you were going to have kids, you were going to expand the family, you were going to pass on the family name. That kind of unjust expectation put pressure on Elizabeth and on Mary. And this is where they were standing. If Elizabeth faced shame because she couldn't have a couldn't get pregnant. How do you think Mary felt? What kind of shame? What was she facing as a a first century woman who was pregnant before she was married? So, uh, you know, Elizabeth faced shame because she couldn't get pregnant. Mary faced shame because she was pregnant. It just feels like sometimes you can't meet anybody's expectations, right? Uh, But this is their story as their story begins. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Mary has just found out she's pregnant with Jesus. And she's found out Elizabeth is pregnant as well. So verse 39 says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Mary finds out she's pregnant. This is a scary thing for her. She's not married yet. That's not a good thing in the ancient world. And so she hears that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant. So she goes, she goes about 
from Nazareth, where she was, to the hill country of Judea, probably about 75, 80 miles. It would have taken four, maybe five days of travel, but she gets going because she wants to be with someone who might understand what she's facing, what she's going through. When Elizabeth, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I, I just think that's an amazing expression of faith there by Elizabeth. Jesus isn't even born yet, but she has faith. She believes this is the Messiah. This is the one that was promised throughout the Old Testament. And she, when she meets Mary, her baby, John, you know, just jumps and it, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And she has this wisdom suddenly that, that Mary is carrying the Messiah and Zechariah, her husband, had been told by an angel to prepare the people for the, that, that their son was going to prepare the people for the coming Messiah. So in verse, uh, verse 16 of Luke 1, Zechariah hears this from the angel. He, his son, John, will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Elizabeth knew that her child was going to help people come back to God, that, that he was going to reveal God in a powerful way, that he was going to be the son of man, the Lord that they had been waiting for. And so in these verses, she speaks out in faith. This is, I am so favored that the mother of my Lord should come. And we're just reminded that people in the Old Testament, you know, how is it that they, they became saved? How is it that, that they were able to have a relationship with God? It's because they looked forward in faith to the one who would come and make things right. They, they realized they needed a Savior. They needed a Lord to help them connect with their God because of their own rebellion and sin. They were looking forward to that one who would come. And that's why Elizabeth is so responsive to the, the movement in, uh, of John inside of her. Verse 44, she talks about that again. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, I've, I've known a few pregnant women in my life, and uh, maybe some of you have been pregnant women, but when their babies jump around inside of them, they usually don't respond with, they're leaping for joy. You know, usually it's more like, hey, settle down in there, you know, <laughs> or I got to stop eating spicy food. It's something like that is usually their response. But Elizabeth says there is joy in this moment. Verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth looks at Mary and she says, you are blessed. You are blessed. God is at work. And I see that he is moving in you and through you. Now, I don't know that Mary would agree with what Elizabeth said here. I don't know that Mary is certain she is blessed in this moment. She's just found out she's carrying a child. She's not married. In the ancient world, that was a scary thing. Or maybe she did believe she was blessed, and she just needed someone to confirm that for her. She just needed to hear, someone else, to hear from someone else to say, you are blessed. God is moving in you. Joseph certainly didn't think Mary was blessed when he found out. He had in mind to leave her, to divorce her over this. And you can see that God was already flipping the script in Mary's life. He was already taking something that looked negative, that looked scary for her, and, and speaking a new way through it. What an outside observer would say was shameful or bad news, Elizabeth calls blessed. Have you ever thought of that thing in your life that's causing all of the problems for you, that that might actually be a blessing from God, that he's using to kind of move you along in the story he's writing with you? Have you ever thought about that that difficult thing that you're facing is actually a blessing from God that he's using in your life to help you see him in a new way? It's one of the paradoxes of walking with Jesus. Sometimes what is difficult and painful is the very thing that, that God is calling you toward, the very thing that he is walking with you through. 
To others on the outside, all they see is the struggle. All they see the pain, and they don't understand why you continue to pursue what God is calling you to do because it's not easy, and they don't get it. It doesn't look right from the outside. I mean, you better believe when I told my friends and family in Colorado that I was going to move to Kansas City, that I was going to leave a church community I'd been part of for over a decade who had walked with me through difficult days and many friends there, and and I was going to leave that and come to a new community in Kansas City, a new church. They looked at me sideways. They're like, really? Are you sure? That sounds like a hard thing to do. That doesn't sound, I mean, you got a good thing here, Nate. Why would you want to do that? From the outside, it, it didn't look like it made sense, but God had made it so clear that this is what he had for, for Angela, for I, for our family. And we trusted him in it. It might not make sense to you, but sometimes God, his ways just don't make sense. Could it be the thing that's causing all the problems in you might actually be a blessing from God that is helping you move forward with him? Mary begins to see it that way. She sees it that way. And, and her response to Elizabeth's greeting here is, is what is called a song. I don't know, above verse 46, mine says Mary's song. I don't know if you've got a title over verse 46. But mine says Mary's song. And and so I just want to read her response to Elizabeth's greeting to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then verse 56 says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Mary starts this song, and she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Your version of the Bible might say, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is why these words are called Mary's uh, song. It's called the Magnificat, to magnify, the Latin for magnify or exalt. It's it's the idea of, of examining, of focusing in your attention, getting down really close and looking at all the little details that you can see. And and examining what God is doing. That's what Mary was doing. She was magnifying God, lifting him up, focusing on him, getting close. This is her song. When we sing worship to God, when we exalt him, when we magnify him, uh, he shows up and, and reveals himself to us in a powerful way. And the natural result of that is that others are drawn into that. Others are drawn into examining God, to magnifying him, to paying attention to him because they see what he is doing in our lives as well. This is why Paul would write these words to his friends in Philippi. He would say, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by my life or by my death. Paul's words are exalted in my body. Mary's words are that her soul would magnify the Lord. This is their desire. This is their hope as followers of Jesus. When our souls focus on him, our lives reveal Jesus to those around us. When our hearts are captured by God's love, our actions put that love on display. And some might say this is one way of examining our lives. One way to take our spiritual temperature is to say, how, how do people receive me when I'm around them? 
Do they experience the love of God and the grace of God when they hang out with me, when they talk with me, when I'm around them? Do they magnify God as I am? Do they see God at work? Or is there a different experience that they have? Mary magnified God. What does your life magnify? What does your life focus on? In verse 48, Mary tells us why she's able to give focus to God. She says, he has remembered me. God has taken note of what I'm going through. He has shown his concern. God took one good look at Mary and saw that her heart was ready to respond to his grace and his love and his calling in her life. She was living in humility. She had a a right understanding of herself. She was at the corner of, of small and tiny. That's kind of how she saw it. Those are her words, how she saw herself. herself. But, but she thinks that God is at work in her. She sees that he is flipping the script in her life and doing something new, and everything starts to change for her. When's the last time that God flipped your script? When's the last time that God shifted things in your life and took you in a new direction? I'm, I'm sure this room is filled with stories that you could share of times when God showed up and helped you to see something new, experience his love, his grace, even through hardship. And I wanted to have one person come up and share their story. One Hillcrester give us an idea of what, how God has moved in her life. So I'm going to ask Tamara to come up, and she's going to share her story with us this morning. And uh, Tamara just uh, returned from Alaska like two weeks ago, and um, so really glad that you're here with us this morning. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you've walked with God for many, many years. Yes. Um, and so tell us, when you were younger, what was your point of view of God? What did you understand about him? You know, when I was younger, my family went to church every Sunday. It was an obligation, but it wasn't our lifestyle. It wasn't part of our everyday life. And I remember feeling like there weren't other friends, there weren't other people in my life besides my mom, really, that spoke into my life. And mm-hmm. so it didn't ever really strike me as a relationship. Mm. Um, with God that I, I felt like was something driving me yeah. into later life. Yeah. Saturday morning, you have pancakes. Sunday morning, you go to church. It's just kind of what you It was what, what we did. did. Yeah. It was an obligation. Yeah. And so w- when was it that God shifted that for you? When did he flip that around? You know, I think through high school and college, um, I had a little bit longer period of, I'm going to do it my own way than you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, just kind of didn't know that I felt needed or that important in in the in the story of the bible right like that didn't apply and it was just something when i grew up i'd go to church kind of feeling i always believed but i didn't necessarily have that that feeling until after we got married and i had my kids and a good girlfriend of mine in in um mom's day out kind of thing we sat there one morning and we talked about like what does, what does it mean? How does it feel to, to love God? And I said, you know, really, I don't know that I ever experienced that until I had children, mm-hmm. that I didn't really understand a father's love or a mother's love until I saw these precious kids yeah. and how much that meant. And it really brought him to life in my life mm-hmm. and changed the trajectory of where I was going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look back on those times and I think how important my church family at that time was, how important those other moms that were in my life were and that community, yeah. and how important that is to me that my kids have that, that church community yeah. here. Yeah, there's something about when you have a kid and understanding that you just feel connected to them. There's a love that's there, just it comes from nowhere. Right. And it just fills you and you begin to think, oh, that's how God sees me. And it's, yeah, pretty remarkable. It was. How that changes you. So you went to Alaska with a couple of your, your guys. 
your yes. boys. And what, what, what was that about? Why did you want them to come with you? You know, I, I took them wanting to have that, that quality time together. Just the three of us, we have four kids and my two oldest, it, you know, they're busy, they're in high school, they wanna go be with their friends and I'm not that cool anymore. So taking that time to Sadly. hang out and be together uh -huh. was really important to me, but also having the 30 people on that group as a community and really building those relationships was, was a huge part of why I wanted them there. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they didn't necessarily think this was the coolest idea. And you know, it's summertime, the pool and all the fun things, but we're gonna go shovel things and yeah, yeah, yeah. Work hard. serve. Uh -huh. Wasn't top priority for their summer. But at the end of the trip, I think that we would all say this was one of the best decisions we've made and that it was really a remarkable time together, but also a time that they, they will voluntarily do again. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad you guys went. Uh, way to go to take that sacrifice. Uh, thanks, Tamara, for sharing your story with us. Let's thanks say thanks to, to her for sharing. Yeah, thank you. God is always at work, right? Always moving, always shifting in our lives. Uh, it's good to hear one of those stories. And I just want you to reflect on, like, if I asked you to come up here, what would you share? You know, how, how did you see God when you were younger or years ago? And, and how has God changed your life because of his script-flipping work in you? And, and you see this throughout Mary's song. As you, as you look at how she talks about how God is going to interact with people, you see her saying, God, over and over again, you're changing the story. You're moving people around. You're shifting things for them. He, she says, for those with all the money, all the power, all the position, that God is going to scatter them like a farmer scattering seed out in the field, or like a harvester shaking out the wheat, separating the grain from the useless chaff. Um, she says, God's going to bring down those who are clinging to power, those in authority. He's going to bring them low. He will send them away with nothing, she says. Or, or maybe it's the idea that they're going to realize that they have nothing, that the power and the, the ability they have is is really nothing compared to what God can do in our world and in our community. For those who trust in their own ability and power and stuff, God will flip their reality and they'll realize the truth that what they have is really hollow and weak and so, so limited. But for those who see clearly their low position, for those who acknowledge their need for forgiveness, their need for grace and for a second chance with God, Mary says that, that the Lord is turning the tables. He's going to lift them up. They might appear like they don't have much value, but God's going to exalt them and use them in a powerful way. God's going to fill up those who are hungry. He's going to give them what they need. He's going to fill them with spiritual strength and power for the work he has for them. God helps his people. He shows his mercy to them. And she says at the end of her song, he's always done this. He's done it since Abraham. He's done it with all of our ancestors. He's done it before. He'll do it again. And Mary sees what many other people see in the story of Jesus. They see him bringing a kingdom that is countercultural, a kingdom that flips things upside down, where the last are first and the first are last, a kingdom where our example of what it means to be faithful is a child and how they approach God, where those who are poor, those who are experiencing homelessness, they are met with by God, they are valued by him. A community that follows really a person who was a refugee born in a barn who escaped with his family, and he built cha chairs and tables for three decades before God began to use him to, to revolutionize our planet and to change the world, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And this matters to us this morning because we want our stories flipped as well. 
We want to see God doing something new in us. Many of us are hungry for God to do something. Many of us don't think much about ourselves. We feel unimportant. We feel overlooked. But God says, I've got something I want to do through you. Many of us know our neighbors aren't seen by many other people. They are devalued. They face inequity almost daily. And God wants you and me to change that, wants us to join in with his kingdom, to bring a different way of life. One author wrote about Mary's song and said this, uh, the Magnificat is the great New Testament song of liberation, a revolutionary document of intense conflict and victory produced by a woman who proclaims the virtues and values of peace and justice and humanness, compassion, and the equality of humankind. That The kingdom of God is a revolutionary movement. It was in Mary's day, and it is in our day as well. We may not see the way that God is transforming lives, but he is every day. In every corner of the world, he is moving in people. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm hungry to see more of that. I'm hungry to see more of that in my own life, in our life together as a congregation. I'm tired of lukewarm faith in myself. I'm tired of days on and days off in my connection with God. I just, I just want to see him move in a fresh way. I'm exhausted of the pressure of growing a bigger and better Sunday service, you know, numbers and numbers, and I just want to see God exalted and worshiped. And I'm tired of, uh, of shuffling the deck of those who are following Jesus, you know? Where are my, my Christian friends going to church? Are they going there now or there now? But where are those who have not known the love of God? We are surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of, of neighbors and, and friends at school and co-workers and family members who are sleepwalking through this life spiritually. And they are headed to an eternity where they will be separated from their creator. And God looks at us and he says, I want you to be building the kingdom of God. I want you to be reaching out to those that I love, that I created, that are different than you, that, that don't share your values. I want you to reach out to them and love them and help them to know that I have a plan for their life. We don't need to, why, why is it we're not experiencing more baptisms here at Hillcrest, right? Why aren't people far from God finding hope and new life through the influence of Hillcrest in our neighborhood and in our community? I, maybe there are some. And to be honest, I don't have any answers right now. But I just know that I desire to see God do something new through us, to see those that we care about who don't know Jesus come and encounter him in a new way. I want to see God flipping the story of people in our lives. Maybe part of our dilemma if we look at what Mary does here, maybe part of our dilemma is that we're not magnifying the Lord, that we're not lifting up his name, that we're, we're not examining him, we're not focused on him, but we're focused on lesser gods or other programs or other distractions, and, and we're missing out on what God wants to do through us. We're giving our attention to lesser things, and the mighty one is doing great work all around us, and he's inviting us to join in, and I, I want to see that for you. I want to see that for me. And if I can say that about our church community, I know I can say it about my life. I can say it about individual lives in this room. God brought you here for a reason. You are here because he wants to bless you. He sees what you're facing and he says, you are blessed. He knows what you're going through and he says, you are blessed. Maybe the reason you're here this morning is so that you could hear that, that you could be reminded that God wants to lift you up, that he is aware of what you're going through, that he sees you. And he knows the challenge that you're facing. Mary saw those things around her. She saw that God was at work. She saw that she was blessed. And yet all the hardship was still right in front of her. 
all the challenges. She was, she was facing months of challenge being pregnant before she was married. She didn't know if Joseph was going to stay with her. She didn't know if her family would receive her, if her community would support her. Would God do what he said he was going to do? All that was unknown to Mary. Hardship was in front of her, but she called herself blessed. She found joy in the movement of God in her life. Why was she able to do that? Well, one reason is that she looked back and she said, I've seen for generations how God has been faithful, how God has continued to move in the lives of people, and I know he will do it again. God flips the script. He's done it before, and he will do it again. Some of you are facing difficult days. There's a relationship in your world that's broken, a friendship that's been lost, and you want, you want to see it come back again. Your job is on shaky ground. Or maybe you've lost a job, and you're looking for something new. Stuff at home is difficult. You find yourself wishing you could go back to the way it used to be when, when maybe the kids were younger or when the relationship was different. I bet there's someone here or maybe watching online who's having an internal struggle about who they're attracted to or their, their identity, their gender, those questions that come up. Maybe the difficult day for you began when the doctor brought news to you and said it doesn't look good and here's what we're going to have to do. I don't know what hardship you're facing or what's in front of you. And when we have those things come at us, we often panic and feel out of control. And I just want you to know that God notices, that God sees you, that God knows what you're facing. And he says to you, you are blessed because I am here and I'm with you in it. I'm gonna walk with you through it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna shift things for you. I'm gonna turn the table. And there's a new life that you're gonna have because of this hardship that you're facing. Hear this right now. God sees you and he knows what you're facing. And there's nothing, there is no thing that can get in the way of what he wants to do in your life when you have surrendered yourself to him, when you have opened your heart to him and said, God, I need you to do something new. I want to be used by you. I want to see new life in me. When you say that, there is nothing that can stop God from moving in your life. And that's what he wants to do for you today. So let's pray. Let's ask God to do that. And let's believe that he will as we move into this new week. So will you bow your heads and let's talk to God together. Father God, we are so thankful that you are here right now. We are thankful for these stories of the Bible that remind us that you are good and faithful, that you are present, that you are building your kingdom even when we can't see it, that lives are being transformed, that people are being brought close to you. And Father, I pray for those in this room right now, those who are watching online, I, I pray for those especially who are facing difficult news or challenging days. I pray that you would remind them of your presence. That you would remind them that you are all-powerful God, creator of the universe. And that you are not limited by anything. And that no matter what they are facing, you are with them. Your love is alongside them. And your grace can guide them. Father, might we see you at work in our lives today. And as we magnify you, Father, might you draw those around us towards you. Might you allow us to share our story of love and grace with others. Might you bring those who do not know you, those who are separated because of their rebellion and their sin, might you bring them close and allow them to know they are forgiven and called and they can be adopted into your family as sons and daughters of God. Father, we want to be involved with that. We want to be part of that story. So we ask for that. Like even today, Father, might, might I encounter someone today? And might they see something in my life that causes them to ask or I get to engage with them in such a way that, that they can hear about what Jesus has done for them? Lord, let this be the day that happens. 
and pray it from our hearts, Lord, expecting you to do great things. Thank you for your love for us and your grace for us. We need it today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.